It's not a product, it's a technology. It's an education challenge. A regenerative suspension? There will be a growing demand for industrial photovoltaics. Tom Tiger. Innovation in the financing space. The high-speed train is in all our interests. All political lines. Australia is a solar paradise. The market is moving much faster than that. You've got something that's transformational. Solar window in a can. Beyond Zero. Global warming science, solutions and action. Taking it to a do-it-yourself level. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Beyond Zero show. We're coming to you from the studios of 3CR Melbourne, syndicated around Australia on the Community Radio Network and podcast on the internet at bze.org.au and 3cr.org.au. You can also follow us on Twitter at BZE Tech Show. My name's Kay Winnigal and I'm joined today by my co-host Laura Perry <laughs> and Michael Steindl. G'day Kay, g'day Laura. Hi Kay, hi Mike. Today we're going to explore the climate, how climate change is affecting genes, species and ecosystems worldwide and the fact that it's happening now. It is the conclusion of over a dozen authors from universities and many non-government organisations around the world that almost every aspect of life on Earth has been affected. To help us understand this, we have James Watson, who is an Associate Professor Fellow at the University of Queensland and Director of Science and Research Initiative at the Wildlife Conservation Society. For the past six years, James has directed WCS's climate change program, leading the planning and implementation of climate adaptation and the REDD Plus projects throughout WCS's landscape, seascape and species conservation programs. Hello, James, and thanks for joining us today. Hello. Good to have you on the show. My pleasure to join you. James, despite a growing number of extreme weather events, many people are content to sit on their hands and placate themselves with the assurance that climate change is coming in the future and not something to worry about yet. What do you think of this approach? Look, it's one of the great problems with climate change um, science and the way we tackle solutions to climate change. We're always presenting it as a future threat. But the simple reality is that the measurements of climate show that we've warmed at least by one degree out of normal bounds already. That's one degree Celsius globally. Um, and that means that it's likely to see a fingerprint of climate change right now on all our species, our ecosystems, ecological processes, and in fact, how it's affecting humanity right now. So a group of us have undertaken research to really explore what has impact of climate change today really meant for nature and for humanity. And I think what we've showed is um, some pretty catastrophic results. Um, so to answer your question about what I think the approach of um, thinking that climate change is always in the future is that that is really a terrible way to plan. I think you've got to realise that climate change um, is the new norm. It's happening right now. And we've got to, we've got to actually uh, be really sensible and smart and mainstream all our adaptation responses now when we think about climate change. We can't just keep on putting it off. So, James, tell us more about how you've researched this. You know, wh- wh- where's all the evidence come from? Look, there's, there's thousands of scientists around the world studying species, ecosystems, um, genetics, and, and, and individual populations, and really trying to tease out you know, individual responses or community responses to climate change. So what we decided to do was just pull that evidence together. So we started off with really asking, what are the key ecological processes that define um, nature? 
we found about 95 ecological processes, ranging from genetics, you know, evolution, all the way up to community composition, behaviour, morphology, those types of things, you know, the things that make a species and an ecosystem um, function. And what we showed was that about 80% of these processes, there is already evidence, scientific evidence out there in the scientific literature that has been peer-reviewed that shows that these processes have been already altered by climate change. So, um, yeah, so by systematically going through the massive peer-reviewed literature and teasing out the clear response to climate change, we've shown that, you know, climate change is not only here and happening, it's actually already affecting nature in very different ways across all the scales that nature functions on. James, just in the last two weeks, um, 15,000 scientists around the world issued a global warming saying there needs to be change in order to save the Earth. Um, is your stuff taking us beyond this uh, and really saying the sixth mass extinction is, is in process <coughs> Excuse me, um, and that there's even greater urgency than these scientists are saying? Look, I think what our, thought, yeah, what our science is showing is that uh, we can't just keep on putting climate change on the back burner when we think about other threats. It's interesting you, you mentioned the sixth grade extinction. The sixth grade extinction, which is definitely happening, there are species extinctions occurring at a 1,000 to 10,000 times the rate above normal rates of extinction. So we are killing many species on Earth. I think so, James, one can I just quarter stop... of all species... Oh, sorry, you go. Can I just stop you there? Um, what's normal? You say it's 10,000 oh, times... No, so, so, I see. So life on Earth has been going on for, you know, hundreds of millions of years. And there's a natural um, process of extinction as well as evolution. You know, so, and, you know, and there's been five other major extinction events in the past. But up between those extinction events, species naturally die off um, and, and naturally, um, you know, through competition and through things like climate change, natural climate change, but they also evolve. But what we're showing right now in the last 200 to 300 years, the rates of extinction are magnitudes of order greater than what the normal rates are before humanity started altering the Earth. And it's pretty obvious why. You know, we've altered at least half of all the habitats on Earth because of agriculture, because of logging and forestry, and because of urbanisation. You know, our world population has grown staggeringly in the last 200 years, you know, um, and we've got to feed those people, and that means we're taking natural resources, and obviously species lose out in that. So it's not a surprise that there's a great extinction event, but what is happening now is that climate change is interacting with that already altered ecosystem, and that's one thing we've got to remember, is that Climate change is a massive problem and it's going to be more of a problem in the future, but it's interacting with other anthropogenic forces such as habitat loss, land clearing, forestry, invasive species. Those things are all still happening and they're interacting with the changing climate. But that's what our science is showing is that you can't forget climate change when you're thinking about the great extinction event that is already happening and it's been very well documented and well accepted. So you, you say in your papers, <coughs> sorry for my froggy throat, um, that you describe the full range and scale of climate change effects on global biodiversity that have been observed in natural systems. How did you achieve this? Look, as I say, it's, it was a tough approach. We thought we'll start with a theory first. So we started off with defining around 94 ecological processes that actually drive what an ecosystem function in our ecosystem is. And that's processes from... No, at the organism level, such as genetic diversity, body size and shape, to the species level, which is things like where species live, their location, the habitat they live in. 
And then, you know, the population level, which is around things like recruitment, the age structure of a population, the abundance, their ability to migrate. Now, the timing, you know, when you think about plants, the timing of when things bud and flower and form. And then the other set of processes is the community level, so how species interact with each other. You know, so, you know, um, how, does, how do we create primary productivity through those interactions? So we define from theory those ecological processes that drive a system and then went through all these thousands and thousands of papers and tried to see what evidence was out there that there was an impact because of the change in climate, um, which was different from normal. So it was actually anthropogenic climate change that was causing that. And as I mentioned, we showed that there's 82% of all those processes have a clear, um, scientifically proven, significant effect of climate change right now. So, tough question, how can you analyse the effects of climate change in those processes? How can you isolate that? Well, that's the scientific endeavour. And, so, and, you know, and I'm saying, I, I didn't do all those um, scientific studies. There's thousands of scientists around the world who are trained to actually look at the markers of what climate change will do versus other things. So, you know, at a genetic level, you look at genetic markers. At a, at a population level, you look at age structures and recruitment and see how they've changed over time when you look at all the factors that change those structures and see what climate change is impacting on that. And probably the easiest one of all is looking at how species respond. We are seeing species change their ranges. They, they're shifting their, where they live. We're, sh- we're seeing cha- um, species change their, sh- their body shape. And those things can be easily um, unpacked to see what climate change is doing versus other things. So, like, it is a tough question, but it's what scientists are trying to do is actually, you know, seek the evidence that explains what they're observing. And there are many, many methods to do that. And there's many ways to statistically show that climate change has or has not had an impact on those things that they're observing. So species are adapting, some species are adapting, some aren't. Is the adaptation working in a good way or is it ad hoc and hard to manage? Oh, look, I... Gets into Tony Abbott's argument that most species can cope, or you know whatever he says. You know it's going to be good for a lot of species. <laughs> the super, I mean, which is just a sheer nonsense. We'll all be warmer, he said. We won't die of cold. Yeah. So look, look, look. Quite frankly, yes, yes. Species are adapting. That's, they've, they've evolved with climate change in the past. Remember, climate change isn't, isn't stable or static. There's natural change in climate regimes which are happening all the time, and through our evolutionary history, the climate has changed. But this is a rapid non-normal climate change event caused by humans. And we're seeing them adapt like they would normally do um, to this non-normal climate response. But you've got to remember that it's far more rapid than what most species are used to. Again, orders of magnitude greater rates of warming than what a species has evolved in in the past in natural climate change regimes. But more importantly, species are having to adapt in a world that is already massively modified by humanity. It's not like all the checks and balances that species are in place to allow them to undergo what they need to do to, to exist. We have, you know, when species need to move, for example, to retreat to refugia or move up a mountain or move across a landscape or seascape to actually track their ch- uh, climate um, uh, niche, they're going to have to do that in a sea of humanity. And many, many species are just not going to be able to do it because there's no habitat to move through while they track their response. So that, that is the, you know, so yes, we are seeing species respond. And species are remarkable, very remarkable at changing and adapting you know, to things, well, many species at least. Um, but they just won't be able to move and, and adapt in the way they're meant to. 
The other side of the coin is we've got to remember that climate change is the greatest selection force on nature. It causes more extinctions than anything else. We know that from um, the prehistoric record, that when a big climate change event occurs, most species, or a lot of species go extinct. But that's also going to happen in this, one, this case. There are species which are unable to adapt. It's just a natural response to climate change. It's not able to cope with it. So I, I would also suggest that many, many species just won't make it simply because the system is changing too fast for them to adapt. And that's, that's a huge factor in it, isn't it? The speed of change, that every time previously this has happened, it's happened over tens of thousands of years and we're doing it in a couple of hundred. Yeah, it's exactly. That's exactly right. So the speed is enormous and it's a global scale speed. So there is evidence in the past of some locations rapidly warming. There's evidence 15,000 years ago of Russian glaciers warming by five degrees in 100 years. But they're always localised events. That is one part of the system. But the globe, the Earth, didn't warm up by that, that, that speed. This event is globally a global warming event. It's actually everywhere is warming at that speed. But that's what's different, fundamentally different. It's the speed everywhere. And as I said, the other difference is that we've already modified a huge amount of the Earth. So then species just can't do what they normally do because their options aren't available anymore. Mm. You know, and that, you know, that interaction is enormous. Yeah. And not only is it affecting species, but it also spills over onto humans. So what are the main issues you've identified there? Oh, look, so we make the obvious point and often forgotten points, and, and the point that people like Tony Abbott and those who don't really want to believe this is that humans and nature form a coupled system. Humanity relies on nature. So when nature has to adapt to something, it's going to affect humans. It's just, it's just, you know, it's just an obvious statement of fact. And so we, we went through and just looked at, well, what are these changes in ecosystems and in species? How are they going to affect humans? And we found loads of different examples. You know, we're seeing reduced genetic diversity in crops. We're seeing inconsistent crop yields. We're seeing decre- decreased productivity in fisheries, which obviously affects many, many poor communities around the world. We're talking millions and millions of people. We're also seeing really interesting and alarmingly changes in vectors that harm humanity. So changes in disease um, rates, you know, changes in places, things like malaria because of, um, because of climate change. These mosquitoes, these vectors, are tracking their, tra- their changing climate and moving around the places where, and in the areas that we've never seen these diseases before. You know, so, you know, we're seeing that, you know, the many goods and services that ecosystems provide are changing because the species and the, and the processes that drive those services are changing. And these are having a huge impact on humanity. A major point to remember, though, is that it's really unfair because most of these changes affect the poorest of the poor in the human world. It's always the bottom billion who cop it first when nature starts changing. So I find it, yeah, and, yeah, and that bottom billion, those people who did not harm the atmosphere in the first place, they haven't got the benefits of fossil fuels, of energy, of land clearing that has created the atmosphere, um, atmospheric problem we have right now, are the ones who are going to cop it first. So there's an incredible mismatch going on in, you know, when we think about climate change and what it means for humanity. And it's not just simply about the direct effects of climate change, it's those changes in nature that will also hurt humanity especially the bottom billion, the bottom, the poorest of the poor, the most marginalised people on earth. James, you should have issued a trigger warning there um, when Abbott was Prime Minister. Um, 
he kept on saying, we fix the economy first and if there's anything left over, we'll do the environment. And I'm screaming at the newspaper or the radio or TV that, no, it's the environment, the, the economy's a subset of the environment. <laughs> um, well, there's no, I mean, yeah, I mean, there's no, the famous line, and it's the right line, is that there's no, there's no jobs on a dead planet. You know, yeah. and that's, that's, that is the fundamental outcome uh, if you just focus on the economy and only the economy. And that it, so, ultimately everything in our economy is actually extractive of the environment too when you look at it. Well, exactly. We, it is the source of all growth hmm. is natural system, you know, and, and you know, so it's, it's just, it's kind of irrational. I mean, it's not as irrational, it's, it's almost bordering on insane to suggest that we can fix the economy first and then hmm. fix nature later. It is. <laughs> it's just like it's, you've got it completely the wrong way around from first principles. If you missed the start, we're talking to Associate Professor James Watson about the effect of climate that climate change is having on ecosystems all around the world right now, not just in the future. James, changing climate regimes have always been an important driver of natural selection, as, as you covered just before. Um, you, what previous reviews have covered some of the more obvious changes in, in species ranges and things, but what new things have your has your papers drawn out? Okay, I think the most important one is that we're actually seeing um, genetic change. We're actually seeing things and, and phenotypic change. So genetic change obviously is change when it comes to evolution. And there is now clear evidence that suggests that species are changing, the, they're already altering their genetic makeup by undergoing microevolution to respond to this climate. Now, we're not talking about, um, you know, higher-order mammals and stuff like that. We're talking about insects and plants, you know, but that's, I think that's remarkable that we're already seeing that. And, and what James, we're also are you seeing saying is, it's remarkable because we're seeing it so quickly? Because I, I presume yeah, genetic yeah. changes have occurred throughout the ages. Yeah, yeah. So what's remarkable is the speed. Like, it really, you know, um, and, and what we're seeing, it's just, it's one of those sources of debate in um, in evolutionary, you know, evolutionary sciences as how quickly can a species change its genetic makeup, mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, and, and there's always been, you know, many people think thousands of years, you know, hundreds of years. We're seeing tens of years now. There are, you know, there are things which are able to change very, very rapidly. There was a new um, Darwin you know, Finch, uh, wasn't there, recently? In in a few years. Two oh, there was. There've been there've been lots of yeah. There've been lots of. Examples. I mean, I, so again, again, I don't, I don't think there's any evidence of um, higher order species. So you know, the chordates, the so birds, rapidly evolving to a changing climate. That still hasn't occurred. But there is clear evidence of birds, mammals changing their shape, their phenotypic plasticity. So it's what. They, so that's not their genetic makeup. That's how they look. You know how they. And that that is again, I think, really interesting. We're seeing. Fish, birds, mammals change their shape. They're getting smaller, bigger. They are, they are, they, they're, they're getting longer arms, shorter arms, longer bills, shorter bills because of climate change. So which I think, which I think is really interesting. And that, you know, we're seeing a, a change in shape occurring as well um, beyond a, yeah, a, an evolutionary response. It's a phenotypic response, uh, which, yeah, uh, over such a short period of time is quite remarkable. So in one of your papers, you give examples of the ecological components and processes affected by climate changes across everything, marine, freshwater and terrestrial ecosystems. Can you describe them to our listeners? You've just mentioned, say, genetics, but there's quite a number of other areas. that. Yeah. And, and perhaps define phenology for us. 
I said phonology is, I mean, so that's the most classic of the climate change responses, is, is when, when, um, when plants change their ability to uh, flower, you know. So, you know, it's the phonology of species is things like when they bud and when they flower. So, look, as I mentioned, we, we, we looked at around 90-odd processes, um, ecological processes, ranging from things like genetic structure, phonology, morphology, you know, physiology. So, you know, physiology is how, how the, the operation inside a species works. You know, dynamics, you know, dynamics is basically around uh, how species interact with each other and create primary productivity. Um, and then things like relationships between species. Obviously, many species interrelate. They, you know, they're mm. synergistic at times, you know, and so we're looking at how their relationships change because of climate change. And, and the so big that's ones different from dynamics? Yeah, yes, that's right. The dynamics is around, it's, it's within the species is what's occurring there, where, where um, interspecific relationships between the species. I mean, but as I say, these are, they're, they're, broader, they're broader categories across many, many more processes. Like, you know, there, as I say, we, we, we looked at over 90 different um, defined processes that we know that drive nature. So, you know, it's going to be hard for me to describe on radio uh, all 90 of them. <laughs> but the, I suppose the point I, I'm suggesting is that we we actually try to look at it from a, um, a very theoretical basis. So we start at an organism level, then we look at the species level, the population level, and the community level. So we wanted to actually define the impact of climate change, not just for one aspect of the ecosystem or the ecological process that drives the species, but across all of them to make it systematic. And did you find that there were areas around the world uh, where species were adapting or changing or dying out more quickly than others? Look, I think it's well known that um, with the greatest changes we're seeing um, are at the high latitudes, you know, so both the Arctic and the Antarctic, um, at the top of mountains, you know, anywhere, you know, the high mountain systems are rapidly changing, those glacier systems. The other two systems that are really copying it um, right now are mangrove and seagrass um, ecosystems on the coast because of the changing uh, interdynamic relationship between um, freshwater and seawater um, and sea level rise, and also coral reefs. So you know they're, 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 they are the um, they are the systems that are the flagship systems for climate change, and our and our evidence points out as well. They're the ones which often have the most. Um, uh, rapid change, um, you know, and, and, you know, and you've got to remember things like places like Australia, we have a very dynamic um, terrestrial ecosystem, you know, like which fluctuate in temperature and rainfall a lot, which means seeing the signal there is much harder to see than in places which have regular seasons, such as North America and Europe. That's where you can actually see shifts in migration far clearly, more clearly. And in somewhere like Australia where there are just, you know, there are seasonal dynamics that are not climate change driven, that um that um yeah so are hard to unpack with a seeing a climate change result. So it's unsurprising that we're not seeing many new results in those systems. James, another question I've got for you regarding phytoplankton, which generate well over fifty percent of the world's oxygen. You know the figures range from fifty to seventy percent. Have your studies shown that climate change affected phytoplankton at all? Well, that was one of the markers we saw, we saw come up, you know, the evidence we saw come up. I mean, the temporality is that is, that is well, that's well established. That, um, there's a relationship between the extent of sea ice in particular um, and, and phyto, uh, phytoplankton. You know, that, that, is, that is very well documented. And they also showed that as sea ice has not occurred at the same rate of growth because of climate change, because of warming oceans, um, that has affected 
the amount of fighter sanctions significantly. And it's a reason why we're seeing massive declines in, um, in populations of Antarctic species. Um, you know, you, you're seeing penguin declines, rapid drops of penguin species, because food sources which are related to phytoplankton aren't occurring anymore. You know, like they're not they're not occurring in the great abundance of it is. So it's not simply about the uh, the ability to absorb CO2. It's you know that's a great phytoplankton really drives ecosystem dynamics from a food web point of view, and the loss of them uh, that, that, that 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 a huge number of them um, in terms of massive populations affect other species um, in an indirect way. So does that mean that the more the ice melts, the less oxygen we have? Oh, look, at a, at a global scale, it's not, it's not that uh, alarming. Like, in terms of, you know, there's enough uh, uh, transpiration and respiration going on to, um, you know, fix that, you know, levels of oxygen. Uh, but it does, it's just, it's just another massive shift in the system, you know, in terms of, you know, in terms of what we're seeing around uh, CO2 levels. I mean, one fact that was told to me the other day, which blows my mind, is that we've got to realise how much CO2 we're emitting to the atmosphere right now, you know. And the statistic I was told was that we have 60% more carbon dioxide in the atmosphere now than we did in 2005. Now, just, you know, which is well and truly within the realms of, um, uh, you know, we knew about climate change happening and there's a problem here. We've already, you know, in that time period, in 12 years, we've had another 60% of CO2 on top of that. So what it means is that we're in for a hell of a rocky road. People talk about two degrees warming. That's not what the models are showing. The models are showing three degrees warming. That's what we're in for. Like, we can't At change least. that. At least. You know, which, is, which, is, which is catastrophic, you know, like, considering we've only had one degree so far. You know, like, uh, it's, a, it's a very alarming um, number when you think about it. James, these always uh, run out just when we're getting really uh, deep in stuff we want to talk about. We've only got a minute left. The United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change, UNFCCC, and COP Paris are some of the current possible avenues for mitigating climate change. We all know about COP21. Can you tell us more about the UNCCC and how it works? Well, the United United Nations Framework for Climate Change is is the convention that has to act on, you know, halting, getting nations together to agree and hold climate change. Now, the Paris Climate Change Accord came out of the UNFCCC. It's one of the great statements by humanity. People should celebrate the Paris Climate Change Accord. For one of the first times, we set a number on what dangerous climate change means. We said two degrees is not... We cannot go beyond two degrees, you know, like, so... All nations to yeah, you know, with the exception of a few, obviously. Um, and and in, so I would say, you know, so what UNFCCC is is a global um, uh, treaty that 196 nations have signed on to to actually say we will take these steps to mitigate the impacts of climate change. What we need now is the financing of those initiatives that are outlined in the Paris Climate Accord. The Paris Climate Accord is excellent. It, it really is, a, is an excellent plan. It actually clearly articulates the problem and clearly articulates avenues for um, solutions. So it's not like we don't have a plan and it's not like we're not clear on the solutions. What we now need is nations to finance it. And that means nations like the United States, like Australia, like Canada, to take it seriously, you know, like Mm. as seriously as the Norwegians are and the Finns are. You know, I don't know, some nations have taken, and the Germans are. They take it very seriously. We just have to pull our weight. Yeah, and, and we're not doing that, and yet we're one of the biggest polluters in the world. So, James, we have run out of time. Thank you so much for that discussion. We've been speaking to... Oh, my a, pleasure. Yeah, good on you, James. 
We've been speaking to Associate Professor James Watson about the huge effect climate change is already having on ecosystems all around the world. The Beyond Zero show is brought to you by the climate change solutions think tank Beyond Zero Emissions and is recorded in the studios of 3CR Melbourne and syndicated around Australia on the Community Radio Network. If you want to listen to this show or any of the others we've done, go to bze.org.au and click on the podcast tab. If you enjoy the program and can help donate to cover the airtime costs and keep us on air, please go to BZE website and click on the donate button. Thanks for listening. We look forward to talking to you again next week. Beyond Zero Emissions is an internationally recognised climate solutions think tank that is focused on solutions, not problems. Become part of the solution by becoming a monthly base load supporter. Go to www.bze.org.au to find out more. bze.org.au You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.